So we are going to talk about money. What? Surprise. Hey, some clapping. That's good. Oh, that has nothing to do with this. Totally, totally, totally random. Um, so there are some things that Jesus talked about a lot. Jesus talked about prayer a lot, right? He talked about the kingdom of God a lot. Why do you think Jesus talked about some things really often? It's kind of easy. Because it's important. Yeah, it was important to him, important to God, important for us to get. I think another reason why he said certain things, he talked about certain things real often is because they were things that people weren't getting. (laughs) Sometimes you have to talk about things multiple times for people to really get it. And the concept of the kingdom of God was difficult, so we had to talk about it a lot. The concept of grace was difficult. People weren't praying much the way way God wanted them to. Um, And people did not understand money and God's view of money and how to um, live a life of stewardship. And so Jesus had to talk about it all the time. And even more than prayer. He talked about money more than prayer. And most churches teach on prayer quite a bit, right? Because prayer is how we grow in our relationship with God. So it's important to know how to pray. Um, Most churches don't talk a ton about money. And there are some reasons for that. Um, One of them is sometimes people's reaction is, oh, they're talking about money because they just want our money, right? That's, that's some people's reaction. And the reason some people have that reaction is because they've probably felt at some point that the person talking just wanted their money. They probably actually felt that way. And so then the next time they hear somebody in church talk about money, they sort of uh, brace themselves. All right, here it comes, the guilt trip. Pack your bags. Um, and that's something I actually wanted to talk about. We'll get there in a minute. Um, but Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's kind of the, the crux of the teaching on money, Matthew 6. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And Jesus is saying, that's just a fact. The stuff you spend money on demonstrates what you really care about. That's just a fact of how humans work. And therefore, what are you spending your money on is what Jesus is getting at. How do we spend our money? Because that proves what we really care about. And I've known Christians who are like, we love the Lord, Jesus Lord of our life, all that kind of stuff. But they, they, they don't give money to the Lord. They don't give to the poor and all that kind of stuff. And I'm always like, I'm sensing a disconnect here between what you say is important to you and what you're acting out is important to you. There's, what's the disconnect here? Where did that happen? Um, and that's an important thing to get at for a lot of people. Because some, some just haven't been taught giving, which is why we're going to talk about this tonight. And haven't been taught more in a general sense, what is money all about? Um, money is neutral. It's not evil. It's not good. Okay? Um, some people say the Bible says money is the root of all evil, but it does not. It says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And there's a huge distinction there. Money itself isn't evil. It's neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It's like food, right? Food in and of itself is neither good nor bad. Now, you can be a glutton or you can use food as a, um, as a stronghold in your life and hide there instead of going to the Lord, and that's a sin. Or you can fast, <laughs> which is a great spiritual discipline. So food can be used in good or bad ways, um, and so can money. And we know that, right? Money can be used in good or bad ways. But in and of itself, it's neutral. And God uses that neutral thing to test us and to grow us spiritually. And it's actually one of his favorite tools, 
One of God's favorite tools to help us to grow and mature is money. And when we realize that's true, and we are more aware of that and what we're going through in our life, especially if we're in a financial struggle, it's really, really helpful in those times because we understand that God is doing this for a purpose or he is going to use this thing that happened for a purpose. So he sometimes orchestrates our money problems. <laughs> and other times he just said, oh, this money problem happened, I'm going to use this because this is a great way um, to teach. And we're going to talk about this for the next two weeks. Before we do that, though, I want to take one minute to talk about why I'm not going to teach on tithing. So we're going to start out super controversial right away. Um, there's nothing wrong with tithing. Tithing isn't bad. Tithing is a good thing. I'm not against tithing. Um, and for those of you who don't know what tithing is, under the old covenant, um, God commanded a tithe, which means 10%. God commanded 10% for all landowners to give 10% of their increase, their income. So the crops they raised, that they gathered that year successfully, the animals that were born that year, that sort of thing. Okay? And they had to give 10% of that to the temple, to the church. And they were commanded to do that. And if they didn't do that, they were under a curse by God. So it's like super hardcore. Right? This is under the old covenant. They were also commanded to lay up another tithe, a second 10%. And that second tithe went towards um, a family vacation to Jerusalem. Did you know this? This isn't talked about as much. Churches tend to talk about the give your money to the church or else. I wonder why they do that. Um, hint. Humans are frail and evil sometimes. Um, you were supposed to save another 10% to be used to travel to Jerusalem with your family and to celebrate all the, the feast days with your neighbors. So people were supposed to tithe, save up 10% to spend on partying with their neighbors and spending time with their family. Isn't that cool? I think that's really cool. Because that, it not only says that God cares about our community and our personal interactions and relationships, but that he said, I understand that training your children to follow after the way of the Lord is not easy, and it's actually kind of expensive. And so I'm going to make you set aside 10% of your money to go towards that purpose so that you can travel to Jerusalem, so that you can go to the temple and teach your kids, this is why we do it. This is where our father Abraham did this. And you can do all that stuff with your children. And that then back home during all the other Jewish feast days, you could buy your lamb and, and, and your whatever else they ate um, and celebrate with their neighbors because uh, Jewish feast days were like giant neighborhood-wide parties, multi-day parties. And it needed a lot of wine, and that cost money. And so then people come in from other countries to sell Jews all their stuff during the feast days because they need more stuff. And so that costs money, and so you're supposed to save money for that purpose, which I think is really neat. Um, they were also, there was a third tithe, and this happened on the third year. Okay? And that third tithe went to the poor, specifically widows, orphans, and immigrants. And that was the third tithe. And so... No, that was every year. All these are every year, yeah. And um, except for the third one is every third year. Now, there, there, is some, there is some speculation that that might not necessarily have been the case all the time uh, because you have to factor in the fact that um, every seventh year you didn't plant. You left the ground fallow as a Sabbath, right? 
So they, they planted and harvested for six straight years, and on the seventh year, they did not plant to rest the ground. And so there's no harvest that year, therefore there's no tithe. Does that make sense? And then the next year they plant, but most of that harvest has to go back to seed and like all that other kind of stuff, so there's not really much of a tithe the second year either. And so that's the reason that the third year tithe goes to the poor, because the poor haven't been getting money <laughs> from people for a while because people weren't allowed to harvest. Does that make sense? And so the, the third year tithe, which is basically the first tithe of the new Sabbath cycle, goes to the poor because they're the ones who've been needing it. And so and it specifically outlines widows, orphans, and immigrants. Yes, but I, I don't have it written down right now, but I will get that to you if you want it. Yep. And so those are the... Uh, those are the, the, the multiple ties that they had. So under the Old Covenant, this was, a, this was a requirement because, and you have to remember that this was a theocracy back then. And so the government was the church in a way. And so a lot of these things were more like what you would call taxes sometimes than tithes. So it gets a little, a little murky because it's different. But they were commanded, and if you didn't tithe, you were under curse by God, which is very bad. But that's, that's the old covenant. Yeah. Ten percent of increase, not ten percent of what you have. So it's not a warehouse tax where you add up everything that you have, and you always give ten percent every year because pretty soon you wouldn't have anything. Right? It's ten percent it's of increase. So we had nine goats this year. Awesome. So we get to give one to the Lord and save one for one of the feast days. And the others we raise or we eat or we sell or we whatever. Does that make sense? And then when it comes to crops, you harvest your crops. Some of that needs to go to seed. And then the rest is your harvest. And 10%, the first 10, the best 10, is supposed to go to God. And again, this is all old covenant. Uh, it depends on how you, yes. And, and, and people debate that. They debate whether or not they tithed on the net or they tithed on, on the gross. I think, I think it was probably the gross. But, but it doesn't really matter. That, that minutia doesn't matter for us because this is not required in the new covenant. Okay? And that's the main point about, that I want to say about tithing is that tithing is great. There's nothing wrong with it. It was commanded in the Old Covenant, but it is not required under the New Covenant because nothing is required under the New Covenant except Jesus. Right? We are adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ. The New Covenant is in Jesus, in his blood, period. It's not Jesus plus tithing and we get into the New Covenant. It's not Jesus plus going to church or Jesus plus reading your Bible or Jesus plus fill in your favorite spiritual thing. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's not Jesus plus voting for the right person. Okay? It's Jesus, period. That is the new covenant. The new covenant is Jesus. There is no other requirements. Now, there are other things that we should do that God wants us to do. We always should obey. But we don't get kicked out of the new covenant if we're disobedient. We don't get kicked out of the new covenant if we don't gather together and worship, if we don't give money, if we don't pray, if we don't disciple people if we don't do all the things that God wants us to do and that we should do. They're all important things to do, but we don't get booted for that, okay? And this is the main point that I want to make because there are people who teach that that's not true. The, the, in, even us in the New Testament, tithing counts, and we're supposed to tithe. That carries over, and if we don't do it, we'll be under a curse by God. 
And the reason that's not true is because we're never under a curse by God anymore because Jesus became the curse for us. All the Old Testament curses were on Jesus. That's Galatians 3.13. He became the curse for us. So on the cross, all of our sin gets on him. All the punishment for our sin gets on him, including all the curses for, for whatever happened when we messed up, right? All that was dumped on Jesus. That was the point of the sacrifice. That's why he's the sacrificial lamb, because all the curses were dumped on him. And so the, the curse for not tithing doesn't carry over into us in the new covenant because the curse was on Jesus. He was the curse. Everybody with me on that? Okay. So I'm not against tithing at all. I have tithed since I was like five. Okay. I literally, I used to tithe on my allowance as a kid. And um, here's the dime, um, you know, but it, it, I grew up learning that giving is important, you know, and that faithfulness to God is important. And I think that's good. So, you know, that, those aspects of tithing are good. But when it becomes legalistic, when it becomes, this is what you got to do or else, that, that's when it's like, nope, you're out of bounds now. And that's not a good thing. And we don't want to go there. And we at Lydia House never want to go there. Okay. And we're never going to say anything that is coercive or guilt trippy to try to get you to give money. Now, we need money. We have a budget, okay? I, uh, salaries are good. Buying food for potlucks is good. Sending money to Africa is good. There's a lot of good things to be used with the money. But we're not going to coerce you and guilt tripping you in, or in, guilt trip you into giving it, okay? And if anybody ever feels a little bit that way, if it's like, oh, Nate, that thing you shared, I kind of felt a little like guilt tripped into maybe I should be giving more. I want, I want to know that. I want you to tell me because that's not the intent. And so if it comes across as being a little coercive, then it was not communicated well. And I, that I want to know because I need to know when I mess up and I need your help because sometimes I don't. Sometimes I think it went great. It turns out, no, everybody's really bad. Okay, so... The coercion and, and uh, the guilt tripping is not good. And, and some of us have experienced that in churches, maybe before, where it was like, you must do this, and it's, it's all law, it's all Pharisee legalism, all that kind of stuff. And Jesus talked to the Pharisees about tithing, because they were super legalistic about tithing. And he didn't tell them tithing was evil. He just said, you're missing the whole point. Go ahead and tithe, but focus on the things that really matter. Focus on this. <laughs> Doing justice, loving mercy, walking humbly with your God, these are the things that we need to be more focused on than have I punched my clock today for spirituality. Yep, I gave money, I read one chapter in the Bible, I did this, and we just punch our clock, and now that makes us a good Christian. And that's just not, that's not how it works. That's not how it works, right? It's about relationship. Yeah. Real loud. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep, and I think that's that that's true, and we're going to get to that probably a little more next week. Um, but it is true that the law of reaping and sowing is, is absolutely true when it comes to money. And if you give to the Lord, you will receive more. So that's, a, that's, a, that's just a law of the universe, sowing and reaping. So I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm saying that the requirement isn't there, okay? We're not shackled to tithing. God loves a cheerful giver is what the Bible says. We're not supposed to give because we have to. And here's, here's the, the reason I've really become kind of anti-tithing. Not anti, but like I don't like it taught as a requirement because I've known people who 
they tithe, and their mentality is, I give God my 10%, so I'm good. The other 90 is mine. Right? And they sort of, they, they punch their clock, and that's, that's their attitude. And I'm like, ooh, no, no. Or they get bitter because, because they're, they're and, and, you know, we, we've missed the boat when we've done that sort of thing. And obviously there's forgiveness and everything. Um, but but we, we don't want to get caught up in the legalistic stuff of it. There's no requirement. The gospel is very clear. It's Jesus plus nothing else. It's just Jesus. Now, should, should we give? Yes. Should we read our Bible? Yes. We should do those things. But we don't, or else a curse. Okay? And it's true that when we give, we receive. That is absolutely true. And we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Okay. So I think I beat up on tithing enough. Again, I'm not trying to offend anybody. People tithe. That's wonderful. That's great. Um, continue to do that. But, but the nutshell is do what the Lord is commanding you to do, not some law that has been put upon your head that you must obey from an external place. Okay? Because the reality is 10% doesn't belong to God. 100% belongs to God. Right? That's what stewardship means. Stewardship means that everything we have belongs to God. And I think most of us here get that. Um, I have a big section in the notes kind of hammering that home because for people who haven't heard that before, that everything they have belongs to God, that's like, whoa, what? You know? But it's true. And there's, there's plenty of verses about it. Um, uh, like Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and everyone who is in it. So everything belongs to God anyway. If you create something, it's yours. That's the rule. Um, but also, when we became in Christ, when we joined the new covenant, okay, when we signed up using the blood of Jesus, not tithing or anything else, um, when we signed up, we gave Jesus everything ourselves, right? So if he, if he has, has us, owns us, if we belong to him, then everything we have belongs to him too. That's like the transitive property, okay, in mathematics. Like if he, and and the, the, the image in, in the New Testament is that of old world servant-master relationships, okay? And don't think slavery, because that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about servants and masters. Most of us here are servants. We go to work and serve somebody else, and we get paid for it. That's how most of us get money. Um, some of us are ma- masters, and we are employers, and we pay other people. And, and that's, a, that's a good relationship, and it's an important relationship that's existed since, a, since Seth had kids. Um, and God likens that relationship to the relationship with us. Not this one. <laughs> Maybe, you know, eventually you should teach your kids to, to do that. Um, so... <laughs> so when we sign up to the new covenant, everything we have belongs to God, and that likens that master-servant relationship in the old covenant. And that's why we have all those parables where Jesus says, a master gave his servant a sum of money. And we're going to look at the, read all these parables next week, okay? And that's God giving us a sum of money. And some of those par- par- parables have other meaning, but the meaning on the surface is God gives us money, and if we're good stewards with it, we get rewarded, and God says, yay. If we're bad stewards, God says, boo. Right? He actually says, get away from me, you wicked servant. <laughs> Yikes. So we don't want that. Um, <laughs> but that's how stewardship works. Everything we have belongs to God. Okay? All this stuff is God's anyway. And so whatever we have right now, that's stuff God has given us. And he is like, this is my stuff. You are in charge of this stuff. You're responsible for it. So it's yours in that sense. You're responsible for it, but it's all God's. And the reason I love the concept of stewardship so much is because it's so freeing. 
You know, the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is one of the most freeing truths to wrap your head around, that everything you have is God's because that way you don't have to be worried about stuff. You don't have to worry. When the car breaks down, here's something we've probably all experienced, right? The car breaks down, we take it in, they tell us it's 1500 bucks. It's bad. I, I'm not going to make up something because I'll get it wrong. But it's, the engine is broken, $1,500, okay? You threw a rod. That happened to me once. 1500 bucks. Ooh, 1500 bucks. Yikes, okay? Depending on your situation, that might be like all the money you have or at least a significant amount of money. Um, and so what do we do? We tend to worry, right? We tend to get anxious. Ah, stupid car, why did you break? Now I have to spend all this money. But whoa, 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 pause. That's God's money. It's not yours. Don't worry about it. God knew the car was going to break down, right? And so if God wants you to use some of God's money to fix it, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. But then there's less in the account. So what? It's God's money. He can do whatever he wants with it, including write a check to fix your car. Right? And it's really freeing when you get a hold of that, that everything I have is God's. And so when the way of the world happens and things break or things get stolen or whatever happens, it's like we don't have to let that crush us. We don't have to let that worry us. We don't have to let that make us anxious because it's just God's stuff. Now, should we love it? No. I don't love it when the car breaks down. I don't love it when you got to pay a big bill. Obviously, I'm not a weirdo, okay? But I say, all right, God, this is, this is your money. And if you want me to spend it on this, then okay. That seems to be what's happening. Now, in the case of the car breaking down, there is actually, I think, three possibilities. One is God wants to use his money to fix that car. One is God will fix the car himself, like supernaturally. That could happen, right? And sometimes we're like, God, why don't you just heal my car? And he's like, because I gave you the money to fix it. What's your problem? But I'll have to spend that money. That's why I gave it to you. I gave you the money to fix it already. Isn't it there? And if it's not there, then it's a real faith test. But I don't have enough money. What do I do? And then you have to pray and wait. God's either going to bring you the money to fix it, or he's going to fix it himself, or he doesn't want you to have a car right now. And that's the one nobody wants it to be. Right? Now, I've experienced all three of those. I've experienced all three of those. Um, and this, this story would be our second big faith test in terms of money, our second money test. And that's um, we, right after we got married, we bought a car. And first car I ever owned, Geo Prism, super excited. Got good gas mileage, nice little Japanese car. And it exploded on the freeway through a rod. I didn't know that was a thing. But there was billows of smoke, and it was super scary, and we were fine. But it was on 35. We were going, like, you know, not slow, and there's other not slow cars. And whoo, it pulled over to the side. We were fine. That was good. Um, I think we called your AAA or something. <laughs> I don't remember. Anyway, um, they, they tow it in $1,350. It's how much it's going to cost to fi- fix the car, $1,350. And in our bank account, we had $1,358. Okay? So this was going to cost everything we had. We just got married. We were poor little kids living on generic mac and cheese. So we tipped them the eight bucks, and then we're good. Um, No, we had a decision to make. Do we spend all the money we have on this car, 
Is that what God wants us to do with this money or not? And the, to make matters more confusing, we really believed God wanted us to go on a mission trip to Costa Rica that was happening that was going to cost $1,350 for the two of us. Exactly. So we feel like we're supposed to go on this mission trip, but our car broke. And we don't live on campus anymore because we got married and they don't have married student housing. So we're in town and we have to you know, drive to campus and get groceries and everything else you do with the car. But we only have one 1350. We don't have two of them. And so it's like, okay, God, what are you going to do here? This is, a, this is a test. This is a tough one. And what are you going to do? Are you going to double this money so that we can do both? Or what's going to happen? And it came time to the deadline to decide on the mission trip. And we just we left the car. The guy kept calling us every four days. What are you going to do with this car? I'm like, ah, we, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. I kept putting him off because I didn't have the money. I didn't know. Um, and it came time to decide about the mission trip. And we're like, we feel like we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to go on the trip. And so we did. We spent all our money to go on the mission trip. And pause. I'm not saying that's always the right answer. Okay? Follow what God is telling you to do. I'm not saying always spend all your money. Don't, don't write me a check for everything you own and send it to Africa. Okay? Unless you really feel like that's what God wants you to do. Okay? So I'm not saying spend everything you have on the spiritual thing. But in this case, that's what we felt like we were supposed to do. And so we took, out, took this up of faith, and we did it. And it was scary, but we did it. And I will admit that deep down, I felt like God would honor that, which, of course, he'll, he always honors steps of faith, always. But I thought the form of that would come into him giving us a new car somehow. Not a new, new car, but another car that ran. Um, but we got back from the mission trip, and we still had no car and no money. And the money didn't come in, and eventually guys like, dude, uh, you got to do something with the car. So I sold it to him for like 100 bucks, um, 150 bucks, something like that. So now we had a little bit of money, but we also had to buy food. Um, and so we didn't have a car, and that was God's will for that period of time. It ended up being two years, two years that we didn't have a car. And so God could have fixed the car. He could have given us the money, or he could have wanted us to go without a car. And in that case, he wanted us to go without a car. And so we walked to school uphill. Both ways, no, just one way. Um, uphill in the winter. Um, we rode bikes, and then my bike got stolen. And I had to buy a bike with the 150 I got from the car. And somebody slashed my tires on the bike. That was a uh, persecution thing. But um, So I got a little upset at this point. I didn't know it was going to be two years. Um, and so I, this is why I passed this money test, but I got like a D. Okay, I passed with a D. Like barely passed because I got really upset, especially when the tire got slashed. I'm like, that is it. Like, we are doing the right thing, and we don't have a car. Fine. But then the bike gets stolen. Like, come on, man. That is just, yeah. And then they slash the tires on my new bike. Like, this has gotten to the point of ridiculous now, and this is not cool. Like, we're trying to follow you. What's the deal? And I was, I was like, super upset for a while. And eventually, you know, God's very patient. And so eventually, I'm just like, fine, fine, fine. I trust you. I, but this is dumb and confusing, and I don't get it. But I'm going to trust you anyway, which is why I passed, because I ended with, I'm going to trust you anyway. But all the complaining and this is dumb and confusing and me being angry and yelling at God and stuff, that's why I only pass with a D, okay? Um, but two years later, we got a free car. And so that happened. But we had to spend that two years without the car. Now that free car, so that was one of those options. The other option is the free car we got um, was messed up. It used a quart of oil every time you filled it up with gas. So there was something majorly wrong with the car, right? Again, I'm not a car guy, but you're not supposed to, like, lose oil while you drive your car. And this was losing a lot. Um, and so I pr we prayed about it. We're like, thank you, God, for this new car. So either give us money to fix it, or you can fix it, 
Or you can take it away again. I'd really prefer not, because now we live in Minneapolis, and it's really scary to walk around all the time. Um, and he chose to heal the car. Literally. The car stopped burning all that oil, and the gas mileage went up into the 50s. So I didn't have to spend as much money on gas. True story. For like two years. And nothing major ever broke with the car. Now, the axle was cracked in half. There was a hole in the trunk. We didn't have a gas cap thing. The hood flew up, and we had to wire it shut. So there's problems. <laughs> this, this is not a name and claim it. I got my BMW. Okay? This is... We lost groceries out of the hole in the trunk before we realized there was a hole in the trunk from, from rust, right? Um, but that little Toyota wouldn't die. It just, it, it wouldn't die. And uh, so God healed it, and we used it for a long time. And then, by that point, we had enough money to buy a real car that, like, I mean, it was the same make and model. It just was not destroyed. Um, and so all three, all three possibilities. He can give us money to buy one. We experienced that. He could heal it. We experienced that. Or he can make us go without a car. We experience that. And those are the options. And it's, it, it, no matter what, it's God's stuff. It's God's money. So we don't have to stress out about it. We don't have to worry about it. Because whatever it is that's going on in our life, whatever circumstances we're facing in terms of time, money, our stuff, resources, it's all God's. And so if there's something coming against it, we can come to God and say, okay, God, somebody's trying to take your money. What are you going to do about it? We don't have to uh, pull our hair out. That's what happened to me. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> We don't have to freak out. We don't have to worry. And um, we're, we're running late, so I'm not going to read it. But I would like you to read on your own time. Here's your homework. Matthew 6. Why don't you turn there so you know what it looks like? When you read it this week, I'd really like you to read this and to pray about it. Matthew 6. This is the famous do not worry about anything passage, okay? Uh, starting with verse, let's start with verse... 25. And I want you to read that last section. It says, don't be anxious about anything, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Oh, you have little faith. Like, I take care of the birds. I take care of the grass. Of course I'm going to take care of you. You're much more valuable than they are. Don't be anxious about this stuff. Don't worry about it. I will provide. I will provide. I will provide. I'd love for you to read this this week and really read it and ask God, am I doing this? Because this is the first money test. Next week, I'm going to talk about a bunch more money tests that there are and um, just be real open about what, what we've experienced and the times when I passed well and the times when I didn't pass so well. Um, and, and I think it'll be encouraging to you. Um, so we're going to talk about money tests next week. But the first one is this. This is a very basic. Do we trust that Jesus is going to provide for us? Do we trust that he's going to provide? Because he's very clear about it right here in this passage. And I picked this pa- There's a lot of passages about this, but I picked this one because it's the prettiest, and probably the most well-known, the whole his eyes on the sparrow thing, right? Um, Jesus is really serious about this. He really is serious about it. He will provide for you. And... I want you to be honest. I, don't raise your hands right now, but be honest. Read this this week. Pray about it and say, do I do this? Do I trust the Lord to really provide or do I worry? Am I worried that we might not have enough to send the kid to college or do whatever it is? Do we worry about our money? Do we worry about our stuff? Do we worry about our job? Maybe I'm going to lose it. Are we worried about that stuff? Because we don't have to be. God will provide. Now, sometimes that provision might not be our first choice, the first choice would always be a new car, maybe even a cool one, like what you got in the driveway there, right? That'd be our first choice, but it could be um, you don't drive for two years. And by the way, that was fine. 
Was it my favorite? No, but it was fine. Um, I want to share one more story just about um, God's provision. And this is the first time I ever experienced this because we, we always had enough money, you know, growing up. And I didn't know it at the time, but sometimes the reason we had enough is because you prayed it in. <laughs> but we had enough. And so I'm at college uh, my freshman year, and um, my pastor, my youth pastor, Dave Olson, Davo as we call him, was leading a mission trip to Mexico. I had never been on a mission trip. I really wanted to go, okay, even though it was Mexico. Um, I really wanted to go. I prayed about it, and I felt like God was like, yes, you're going on this trip. And I'm like, sweet. And it was like $550. I didn't have any money because um, I had spent all my money on a guitar before I went to school so I could do worship leading on campus, um, which was a good decision. It was actually Steph's guitar, the white one that she plays. That's the guitar I bought right before I went to college. Um, and so... Uh, I want to go on this trip. I don't have any money. And so I send out letters to like friends and family. Hey, I'm going on this mission trip. Do you want to help support me? And I raised 300 bucks, which I was amazed at because a lot of my family isn't Christian, you know? And so I was like, whoa, that's pretty amazing. So I raised 350 bucks, but that last 250, I just couldn't get. And I tried to like pick up shifts to work at like the cafeteria and like all this kind of stuff. I tried to sell stuff, but I didn't have that much stuff to sell. I could have sold my guitar, but and I even asked God, am I supposed to sell my guitar? Please say no, please say no. And he was like, no. I'm like, okay, good. Um, and I don't know if I could have found someone last minute to buy it anyway. So anyway, um, I'm starting to worry and get anxious. I'm starting to fail Matthew 6, okay? Because I'm like, God, you want me to do this, and the money's not here. And God didn't say anything at all, which was super annoying. And so I'm just like, all right. And the night before, I'm laying in bed, and I'm like, the money's not here. I owe 250 bucks still. I don't have it. Like, I, I can't go. I'm not going to be able to go on the trip. What am I supposed to do? And God didn't say anything. Super annoying. And so I got up the next morning, because we were supposed to meet at 9 o'clock to get on the, the giant van, the giant scary church van, to drive all the way to Monterey, Mexico, and, which is why it was only a $550 trip, because we drove. And... Uh, so I wake up, and I'm like, well, the money didn't magically appear on my desk like I was sort of hoping for. So, oh, well, I guess I'm not going. And God's like, get your bag, go to the van. And I'm like, why? I can't go. He's like, go to the van. I'm like, all right. So I was annoyed and complaining and whining like a little kid. But I went to the van. I did obey. Again, that's why I passed. This is like a D minus. Um, I get to the van. And I'm like, okay, I guess God wants me to go so that I can tell Devo in person I, I can't do it, and God just wants me to be humiliated, which sometimes God humbles us, right? Sometimes maybe I've been really prideful lately. Maybe I need a humbling, and that's what this is about. I'm like, okay, if, fine. I'll go be humbled if that's what you want. So I went and I talked to Dave, and I said, I didn't, didn't even look at him in the eye because I was so ashamed, right? And I'm just like, I, I'm sorry, I can't go. I don't, I don't have the $250 still. I don't have it. And Davo gets this big smile on his face, and I'm super annoyed because I had already talked to him about I don't have the money. He's like, great. And I'm like, what? And he's like, this is an opportunity for God to prove to you how awesome he is when he brings you this money, and that's going to increase your faith. And I'm like, whatever. Like, um, so now here I am in front of him, and I say, I don't have the 250, and he gets a big smile on his face. And I'm like, dude, this is not the time for your like, wisdom. I'm super annoyed, right? And he's like, get on the van. And I'm like, I can't. I don't have the money. He's like, somebody just walked up to me, somebody else who was going on the trip, 
and said, this morning God told me I needed to bring extra money because somebody else who's going on the trip didn't have enough money to go. And God told him to bring that money and to give it to Devo. And he didn't know who it was for. And Devo's like, I think it's for you. I'm like, well, how much is it? $250. Exactly, $250. And I, I don't know if my jaw dropped or not. I think it did, probably. Because I just started up, I didn't say anything. I couldn't. I was like, <laughs> What? Like, I was just blown away, literally blown away. I think I actually started crying and had to, like, walk around the trees for a minute before I got on the van because it's like, dude, like, God showed how strong he was, how powerful he was. And the, the thing that really got me was that God picked that other person and told him to do that just for me. Like, if, if the money, if I had found 250 bucks on the road, that would have been awesome, too. That would have been a miracle. But no, he told a guy to go do it. And so that guy was the servant that God used in that situation. He was the steward that gave the money. And my faith was like, boom, like doubled at this. This is like, I've never experienced something like this before. My faith like doubled in that moment. And looking back on it, I, I learned that God uses money tests all the time to increase our faith. Sometimes it's just to bring us closer to him in trust. Other times it's to increase our faith. Because when we have more faith, faith is a substance that, that can be used for anything. Anything that requires faith. And I was on my way to a mission trip. And this is the point. On that mission trip, the, the money was not the first miracle I saw that week. Okay? I prayed for a boy who had epilepsy. Six years old, God healed him instantly. Never epileptic again. This woman had a goiter on her neck, this old woman. Like, like an orange-sized goiter, purple, hairy. It was really hard to look at, okay? Myself and a couple other people prayed for her, and I opened my eyes, and it was gone. And I instinctively looked to the ground like this, thinking it must have fell off, like just out of instinct, and it wasn't there. It was just gone. Bam, vanished like that. Miracle, okay? And um, I prayed for this other guy who uh, had some sort of condition that his back was hunching over, like he was like Quasimodo, Right? And it had happen happened over a couple-year period, and now he couldn't work, and his family was literally starving. Okay? His kids are starving to death because he can't work. A very poor Mexico um, village. And I prayed for him, and God healed his back, straightened it up. He was taller than me by the end of the prayer. And now he could provide for his family, and they all got saved because of it. Okay? So serious miracles, like stories I still tell, amazing miracles. And all of that happened because... God had increased my faith through this money test. See, God's smart. He sees into my future what I don't see. And he said, Nate has to go on this mission trip because I have to use him to do important things. But his faith is insufficient. He doesn't have enough faith to do what needs to be done because faith is a requirement for miracles. In Nazareth, it says Jesus couldn't do any miracles there because they lacked faith. Okay? I'm not saying it's all on your faith, and if something doesn't happen, it's because you lack faith. That's not necessarily true. Um, but faith is a necessary component all throughout the, the New Testament for any sort of miraculous thing. And God looked at it and said, he does not have enough faith. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. And so I need to do something now to increase Nate's faith so that he has enough for the trip. And he used the money test to do it. And it worked, and it increased my faith, and bam. And so he taught me so much through this. And, and that's why I've passed pretty much every money test since then, because at some point during the test, I recognize it for what it is. 
the reason we don't have any money right now and I can't seem to find a job is because we're in sort of some sort of money test. Okay, okay. I'm not going to freak out now. I'm not going to worry now because God's got this and he's got something in mind. He wants to do something here and I'm actually kind of excited to be part of it. I'm hoping it ends soon so I can stop buying generic mac and cheese and get back to the real craft mac and cheese. But in the meantime, I'm not going to freak out. Okay? Because God's got this. Um, and that's, that's the main point of the first money test. So I'd love you to read, read Matthew 6. Um, ask yourself, do I really trust him for provision? Whatever provision might look like. And just give that to the Lord. If, there's, if you feel like you need to repent over stuff, present or past, do that. Repentance is always good. Humility is always good. Um, and just pray about that. And next week we're going to talk more about money tests, how to recognize them, how to pass them, and look at the parables to talk about that. Why don't we close in prayer? Father, I thank you that, that you are Lord of our life in every area. Lord, Master. We thank you that you are Master of our life, including in finances. And as Americans, we sometimes have a really tough time with that one. And we want you to be Lord of our life, but the money's mine. And so I pray that you'd help us with this. Help us with this. Help us to understand the truth that everything we have is yours. We're stewards of it. And we need to put our resources where you're calling us to put them. We thank you for everything that you've given us. Even if we're in a position right now where we don't have enough, we thank you for what you've given us. The Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content when I have plenty and content when I don't. And most of us have experienced both of those. And Lord, help us to trust you no matter what it is that's going on. To trust you with our resources, our money, our time. It's tough, we admit. Because we're inherently selfish and we want to spend all our money on ourselves and all our time on ourselves. And so help us to learn how to listen to you and to follow what it is that you're telling us to do when you want us to spend it here, there, when there's something we really want to buy. Help us to wait and to ask you and get your permission to buy it first. Because you like to give good gifts to your kids, so you like to buy us stuff, but it might be time to wait. And so, Lord, help us to learn to listen and to follow you and obey you because we really want to do that. We want to be good stewards. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And I thank you for how far you've taken all of us here on that road already. And I thank you that you're going to keep taking us even farther. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I just want to say this just to make sure no condemnation, okay? Please, if, if you're like, mm, this, this is a little harsh or a little whatever or feeling a little bit, please, there's no condemnation for any of this. If it, we've all made mistakes <laughs> when it comes to money. We've all been selfish. We've all done that. And so um, just repent. There's no condemnation. But it's Jesus plus nothing else. Just Jesus. And if you love to tithe, please do that. Right here in the box. Ha, 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 ha.